0: Hey, this is J.J. Reddick. You may know me as a basketball player. You may have seen me play during my college career at Duke University or perhaps over the past decade playing in the NBA for the Magic, the Bucks, the Clippers, or the Sixers. Well, today I'm here to tell you about my new show, the J.J. Reddick Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is where you can find me interviewing athletes like my current teammate, Joel Embiid, as well as in-depth conversations with celebrities like the Late Late Show host, James Corden. The very first episode goes live later this week, so make sure to subscribe to the JJ Reddick podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier, and on the phone line, Mr. Mike Lombardi.
1: Tate Frazier, I just saw you earlier today, and then we've had the back phone ring. By the time I got home, you know, with LA traffic, it took me an hour to get home from the studio. And by the time I landed back here, the basketball rang and my man Ben McAdoo had a McAdoo or McAdoo had a McAdoo, I'm not sure.
0: I think McAdoo had a McAdoo. So we recorded a podcast, a full podcast that was set to go up tomorrow, right after we finished our live NFL show, uh, which we called, what do we call it, Three and Out, I think was the name three of it? Three and
1: Out, just like, yep, Three and Out.
0: Just like our boy Eli Manning a lot of times this year. And then Ben, McAd- ben McAdoo made a decision, he decided that... Eli Manning, who has started 210 consecutive days in the National Football League. The record is 297, held by the great Brett Favre. He will not match that record or beat that record because Ben McAdoo has decided that Geno Smith is now the starting quarterback for the New York Giants. Mike Lombardi, what is your first thought when you hear this?
1: My first thought was this reminded me of when Ferris Bueller was at the restaurant and he's trying to get, he's Abe Froman, he's trying to get a table, and the snooty, snotty maitre d' says, you know, basically, Ketch doesn't think he's Abe Froman, and Ferris Bueller utters one of the great lines, if I'm going to go down, it's not going to be somebody like this. And for me, my first reaction was if Eli's going to go down, it can't be for Geno Smith. It can't be for a guy who averages, who started 30 games in the NFL, who averages six nines yards per attempt, who's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns, who averages 57% completions in a league where it's completions are everything because you can throw completions. I mean, that doesn't mean anything, right? So, like, I'm not an Eli fan. I think Eli's days are beyond them. But you can't treat a guy who's won two Super Bowls for you and whose name is on the wall of the stadium eventually like this. You just can't bench him in season. you got to grit and bear it. you got to suck it up. And if you do play somebody else, it can't be Geno Smith.
0: And so this all comes out, and obviously a lot of people's first reaction was, I guess the Giants have already thrown the season. They're trying to go for draft picks, so they've made this decision to put Geno out there because they don't want to win football games. But that's not what Ben McAdoo's saying. He's saying he's benching Eli Manning because he thinks he has a better chance to win with Geno Smith as his quarterback, and you're saying that's not the case, right? I mean, there's there's no, no way that I can mean, be that, the case.
1: Look, 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 they could have kept Eli in and still lost. I mean, they're two in, <laughs> they, they've won two games, right? Or they've won one game, right?
0: Two games, yes. Just they've two won games. two games. The Kansas City so, Chiefs. Like, yeah. That was that was their last that was probably the highlight of their season. They, not they've Kansas won Chiefs.
1: one game. I mean like they're gonna win any more. I mean, right now there's they're sitting there with the 49ers, you know, for a chance to uh and the 49ers beat them, right? The 49ers beat them in a game. So, mm-hmm. like, look, uh, you know, they're sitting there with the second pick in the draft. No doubt if they keep playing Eli, they're going to get the pick. But this is beyond a pick. I mean, this is this is tanking on Sterler. This is ridiculous, okay? The reality of the situation is Eli has won championships for you. Yes, he's not the same player. Yes, he can't do a lot of things. But this team is bad, whomever you put at quarterback. And so we can wait. Geno Smith, if you want to learn about Geno Smith – Go in the back room, go to your computer, put the 30 games he started for the New York Jets on, watch every throw he ever made. You'll learn everything you need to know about him in that tape. Because when you put Geno out in front of this bad line and you put Geno out in front of this offense... It's only going to get worse. So stop this. To me, this is what you get for hiring Ben McAdoo as your head coach. Look, I've said it. I've been on McAdoo's case since the day he got the job. I interviewed him when I was in Cleveland. I was least impressed for the person that he was. I didn't think he had a command about him. He doesn't have a command. And this behavior had to be stopped. But I think the key point here is this. John Mara had to sign off on this. Mm-hmm. Like they're not doing this without John Mara. This is not a Jerry Reese, Ben McAdoo decision. This decision has to get approved by the ownership, and and they approved it. To me, that's the biggest mistake of all.
0: So, do you think of the Mara family in general? Are they trying to send a sign to Eli Manning that hey, we, you know, we don't, we aren't necessarily tied to you. You're, you're too comfortable at this point. We want to send a message. Um, Because it feels like it's sort of that thing. Because Ben McAdoo actually came out and he had his press conference not too long ago. And he says, just because Eli got benched does not mean his time with the Giants is over. As if he, you know, there's a chance he comes back and starts next week. Why did they let him go to
1: press conferences? Like, why do they? They just got, somebody's got to take the keys away from this guy. Like, don't let him drive. He, you know, my dad's 91. I don't want him to drive anymore. It's the same thing with McAdoo. He shouldn't be going to the podium. Like, this is ridiculous. Of course his career is over with. You just slapped him in the face, you just disrespected him. It's like Uncle Junior says to Tony, I show you my hand, you slap it away. I mean, he disrespected this guy. Look, I, we benched Bernie Kosar in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. We never won a Super Bowl in Cleveland. We never did anything. The fans went berserk because we benched him. And then we had to release him because he became a problem in the locker room. That was very difficult, okay? Mm-hmm. Perhaps if he, prob- if he wasn't a problem in the locker room, we would have kept on. But we had to do something to turn the team around. We made that decision. This guy's not a problem in your locker room. This guy isn't causing confusion on your team. This guy didn't get beat out by somebody else. In the, in the Cozar situation, Testaverde played much better than him. That was pretty clear. This isn't that situation. And you've got, you've got flags hanging in your stadium that this guy won, whether it's the pass to David Tyree, whether it's the pass to Plexico Burris, whether it's the unbelievable throw to Mario Manningham in the end zone. I mean, he's won. Again, I'm not a fan. I think his career's beyond him. But to do this to him, I think, is an injustice.
0: Yeah, because there is some sort of common courtesy there when you have a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Like Even if you are falling off the mountaintop as it's happening, they usually don't just bench a guy like this, especially when the season's already lost. I mean, is Eli going to dress out? Is he going to be on the sideline as the number 2 quarterback? Or is it going to be one of those things where he's just not even active for the game?
1: No, and McAdoo, he'll probably dress three quarterbacks, which will <laughs> make no sense at all. He'll count a quarterback into 45. So he could play anybody at any time. So it'll be like a hockey game. I mean, because if he's not going to – I mean, what's the point? Like at this point, now I know there's cap considerations, but if you're going to cut Eli, then cut – make sure that you can afford to cut him. Get your cap in order. Let him go. Let him go down to Jacksonville and go play down there.
0: Go back to Kauffman. The, yeah.
1: the only way you have to eat all the cap is if somebody claims them and has and, and awarded them. Eli would have probably gone through the waiver wire at this point. I shouldn't say that because teams need a backup quarterback, but the cap room would have been difficult. But you couldn't have guaranteed that, so you had to put him out there and handle the cap room. But for the most part, like just release him. Just release him. Let him go. Like, why put him through this? I just don't think it's fair. I don't think it's being respectful. But again, I think we can blame McAdoo, and we can get on McAdoo's case all we want. But really, this starts with John Maris, the president of the team. He's running the team. This isn't like the old days where George Young ran the ran the Giants and he had final say over everything. John Maris got say over what they're doing, and and he had to sign off on this.
0: And this is one of those things where a lot of times when you have a superstar or a guy who's won titles, I mean, you can even look back. You know, if you were in the Los Angeles area, you remember the Kobe his last year. I mean, there's no reason that Kobe Bryant should have been playing basketball and he was out there. I mean, he wasn't. You know, he he was a a shell of his former self, but there was this. Sort of, there was an air of class about Kupchak and the Bus family. They they wanted to send Kobe off because of what he had done for the franchise. He had won these rings, so they wanted to give him his spotlight and then you know send him off um, in a right way. But the way that they're handling this with Eli, I mean, this may even ruin his relationship with the franchise down the road, right? I mean, he's not going to come back to New York. Yeah, I mean, this this is. I mean, he knows
1: John Mara made this decision. I mean, and you know that he knows Jerry Reese might have might have. I mean, this is a decision that doesn't pay attention to the whole histrionics of the organization i mean there's sometimes you have to take away your your sense of being a gm or your sense you have to put some emotion into this because this still this comes down to the players business and when you treat somebody like this i think it's the wrong thing to do and i think it sends a horrible message and i, and I think it's going to come back and have a, a strained relationship look it's never going to end pretty so yes you know that But you could end it in the offseason. Look, this offseason, you were never going to pay him that roster bonus. So this offseason, it would have been easy. Look, Eli, we're rebuilding. It's not the right time. I mean, I talked about this on No Bull. This was a conversation you were going to have to have. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. But this, to me, is a slap in the face, and this is disrespectful.
0: It really is. It's really tough to see. I never thought that Eli would go out like this. I thought he would keep going. And, I mean, that record of consecutive starts for quarterbacks, I mean, I know a lot of people don't necessarily care about that, but, I mean, Eli was on pace to possibly tie Brett Favre or pass Brett Favre, and doing something like this, uh, you know, obviously ruins his chances of that. Yeah, now, I,
1: I mean, I just think it's horrible. And, and look, the, the, the pressure, the, the Giants... Uh, with Geno Smith now are going to go travel out to the Oakland Raiders and play. The Raiders had their first interception of the year. Navarro Bowman picked off the great Paxton Lynch in the end zone, and that's their first interception of the year. So, I mean, like, how many do you think they're going to get this week? They might actually make some plays on the ball. To me, look, sometimes you have to separate winning from losing. If you really believe that you're putting Geno Smith in the game to win, to improve your chances of winning, then you really need some help. I mean, like you just can't go for a little bit of therapy. Like you're probably better off going to Vienna and seeing a team of people because that's the only way you're going to get cured. Because there's no way Geno's coming in after 30 starts as an NFL player. You think he's going to come in and make you a better team? There's just no way. I promise you.
0: Ben McAdoo's going to be eating some Vienna sausage uh, probably at the end of the season. He's on the
1: lamb right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's got to go on the lamb. Look, I mean, this is what you get. And the ironic thing, Tate Frazier, is this: the reason Ben McAdoo has the job is mm-hmm. because Odell Beckham Jr. Yep. and Eli Manning went hard for him. Okay, and then the Eagles wanted to hire, interview him, and that's how he got the job. Bob Lamont, the greatest orchestrator of anybody since the guy who ran the Philharmonic uh, uh, Opera. I mean, it's so good. He orchestrated this whole thing. The Eagles wanted to hire McAdoo, and he got the Giants to say yes. And now he turns on Eli. This is what I. This is like Tessio when he turned on Michael. <laughs> like this is horrible.
0: It's all about leverage. And uh, with that Eagles offer, he had a ton of leverage. McAdoo comes in, uh, and it, it's been a sour end. I mean, it's kind of crazy that he turned on Eli like that, uh, his quarterback. And now he's got to, you know, put Geno Smith out there and see what happens. Uh, any more thoughts on this, Lombardi? Anything else that you got to say? No.
1: Uh, I'm good. I'm just disappointed we this didn't happen earlier in the day. We could have done it face-to-face. But I'm, I'm all good. I've unloaded all my stuff. I'm happy. I can't wait. And you know what? I, let me just say this. It wouldn't make any sense either to say we're going to play Davis Webb here. Mm. Like, that makes no sense at all. Like, the next couple games isn't going to determine whether you need a quarterback. If you think Davis Webb's so good, watch him in practice, right? Yep. You could get enough out of watching Davis Webb in practice. Like, that's not either. That's not the answer either. Like, the, at the end of the day... You need a quarterback and you're the New York Giants. I've said it since the beginning of the season, okay? You need a quarterback. So why hurt this guy when you have no reason to hurt him? At the, at the end of the season, you're still going to need a quarterback. You're still in the same place. So what have you have accomplished?
0: Not a whole lot, just like Ben McAdoo's coaching career with the New York Giants. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back and get on with our regularly scheduled GM Street. I'm Mallory Rubin, Deputy Editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished gazing upon the God himself in his Care of Magical Creatures class, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. And we're here on urgent business. Is it urgent? It's urgent
2: to tell you about Binge Mode Weekly, our triumphant return to our true home our true Dragonstone,
0: your earbuds. We are back! Yeah! On Binge Mode Weekly, Jason and I will be taking our trademark deep dive into the topics that are occupying our minds and hearts, the events of the moment.
2: Love the scholarly expertise and accessibility of Binge Mode Game of Thrones? Then you'll love Binge Mode Weekly, where we'll touch on everything from our favorite books and movies. To the shows that are obsessing us at a given moment. To the sporting events captivating us. From week to week. Binge Mode Weekly starts this Thursday and every Thursday thereafter on the same feed as binge mode Game of Thrones. Oh, Thursday. And
0: give me that Haggard-sized drum roll. <laughs> Stay tuned for binge mode Harry Potter in spring 2018.
2: Akcio Binge Mode! Protect
0: Hedwig! Jason, I have some. Very distressing news for you. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier, and it is... A lovely Tuesday afternoon in Los Angeles, and I'm joined by Mr. Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing?
2: I'm good. Tate Fraser, it's good to see you again. You know, I mean, we've been doing the phone thing for a little bit of a while. It's that kind of nice to have you like right back in the house. You I know. know it
0: feels like it's a uh, an old school GM Street. You know, we got away from our roots a little bit. We yeah. got away. We have this nice logo behind us that they I fixed like up for yeah. us, and as soon as they fix it up, we just stopped coming in. And I they, don't got know. It,
2: they got it framed too. I love it. I love the I love the whole framing thing. It's awesome. Thanks to Framebridge. If you want Framebridge, to yeah, yeah, no, I, I heard that on the Sal pod. Let, let, let me start off before yes. we get into DB flat Please. I like to clarify something mm-hmm. that, that Cousin Sal said the other day, that I was screaming at, at people at a table at a restaurant here in Los Angeles. I, I can't imagine it being any further from the truth. Now, I tend to get a little excited about the clapper. I will admit that. I mean, I'm not going to deny this whatsoever. However, I don't think I was screaming. I think I was just... Talking, They
0: were egging you on, too. We should say this. I mean, I I think that— Oh, I was getting egged on. If if I want to, you know, to— I was not at the restaurant when this was happening, but if I want to do a play-by-play of what I think that occurred, I think that you came over like the gentleman that you are to say hello— pass your good graces upon the table like any great Italian man would do correct yeah
2: like one of the people at the table is one of my closest friends and I love him to death so when I my, actually Millie saw the back of his head mm. like which was remarkable that's how you know it's real yeah, and of course Millie's like oh I had a premonition somebody was going to be in the restaurant like it's amazing she can do that it, which <laughs> 99.999% of the time she's always right <laughs> so I'm not going to argue this but uh, anyway uh, I, so she saw the back of his head and went over it was fun it was good and it was great to see Cousin Sal it was all mm. it was it was good and actually one of the people at the table asked me to tell an Al Davis story Mm. at the table so at the end of this at the end of this I'll share one of my favorite Al Davis stories with everyone
0: and that's what we like to call in the business a tease folks that's a tease yes Uh, I learned
2: that from you (laughs) let's
0: talk about uh, a real big tease and that's Joe Flacco and uh, his quarterbacking skills the Ravens played the Texans last night on Monday night football um 23-16, Twenty-three to sixteen, the Ravens get the win. They stay in the wild card hunt. They're now six and five on the season. Uh, I think they have the six seed, correct? In, in the AFC, right? now. Yeah, they now do. They nudged stands. Buffalo
2: out of it with yeah. that win last night. But how long will this last? I don't know. DB Flacco, <laughs> look, you know, it was I, I thought it was ironic. Uh, you know, the Toronto Argonauts, and I apologize on on the Sunday sit down. We, uh, we we said the
0: Alouettes, correct? I
2: said Montreal. Which Tressman, Mark Tressman, actually worked for the Alouettes mm-hmm. before. He was the head coach there, but he went. Now he's in Toronto. So I apologize on that. And I also like to correct. I said that. That Rashid Wallace went to Simon. Went to uh, Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. He did not. He went to Simon Kratz High School. And I'm. Re- it's reliably reported to me about your friend Rashid Wallace that he is a Chief fan, and at workouts he would always wear a Chief jersey, and he loves Notre Dame.
0: I always saw him wearing a Chief jersey like back in the day when he was like, But on the, the Notre Dame the thing just kind of
2: like got me off for a loop, but he loves Notre Dame. Loves Notre Dame football or something. Like he must I, love Rudy, you know. He must. I, I think I think you and Titus need to get him on the, the the college basketball podcast. I think he would be absolutely tremendous. And you know, speaking of podcasts, I see JJ Riddick, a 76er, has one of ours. Like, how am I not a guest on Riddick's podcast? I don't know. I mean, like, can't we talk oops once? Like, I'm putting it out there, Tate Fraser, You record it. Let, let me know.
0: I'll reach out to JJ All if right. I can. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I, I'm just telling you right now. It it didn't sit well with me.
2: All right. okay. But,
0: but I'm just kidding, JJ. I'm, I'm excited for that podcast. That'll be fun. Uh, the Rasheed you just Wallace don't like stuff. it
2: because it's a Duke thing.
0: Oh, I mean, JJ Reddick. if you had told my 10-year-old self, 13-year-old self, that this would happen later in my life, I would not have signed up
2: for it. <laughs> I would
0: have stayed in North Carolina. So this was, a, uh, uh, you know, I, I was blindsided by this whole thing. Um, when you look at, let's talk about the whole playoff picture, right? Yeah. Should we do that? Well, let's talk about Flacco first. Okay. So, so we let's got, off the, I got, I got yeah. off the
2: tangent there. So they fired Tressman in Baltimore to improve their office. They yes. hired Marty Mortingway. Yes. Okay which that really hasn't improved. And then they were going to fire Marty Mortigwig after last season. But then John Harbaugh talked to Flacco and D.B. Flacco said, no, I really like Marty. I've had too many coaching changes. He wanted to bring in Greg Roman. So now he's brought in Greg Roman to be the run game coordinator. I don't know why. It's like a
0: co-offensive coordinator thing. Right. right?
2: And, And you see it on the tape. okay? And what I was tweeting last night was about, look, the best teams in football, the running plays all have play action passes attached to it. There's not a disconnect. Right. So if the linebacker Reed's run, he steps up, and then a play-action passes behind him. I mean, that pass to Gronk that we see Gronk's wide open 95% of the time, which you always sit there and say, how is he so wide open? Well, because the linebacker... It's back, a run formation. It's a run, and they played the run, and they got behind him. So, you know, you know, Baltimore is so disconnected that, you know, that John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Ravens, just went ahead and kept trying to make two people happy, and so he has a committee mentality, and now he has nothing. I mean, Deshaun Watson stopped playing football November the 2nd, right? <laughs> he has 16 t- – Flacco has nine. I mean, Jameis Winston, remember him? He used to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. He has 10 touchdown passes. Flacco has nine. He's missed how much time? Like, Flacco's getting passed by everybody on touchdown passes, and, I, and, and as much as I think Flacco's played poorly – and there's no way the Ravens can duplicate what Jacksonville's trying to pull off because the one thing the Ravens can't do that Jacksonville can do is run the football effectively. Like, I I don't see it. So for me, I think Baltimore has that sixth seed, and they've got to rely on their defense, but I don't think Baltimore's good enough in their offensive line. Or their running game, or their coordination of their offense, to be able to withstand
0: this. And they're going to take on the Lions this weekend at Detroit. No, I think it's at Baltimore. Oh no, it is at Baltimore. Is you at Baltimore. are correct. So they have a, they have a home game, a team that used to dominate at home. Right, that, that was what they were known but for. But
2: I, I, you know, look, I think that last night, if with all due respect to Tom Savage, if if they would if if Houston, which I, I think Houston was remarkable last night, really. They mm-hmm. got a bait up offensive line. They had no players on defense. Some of the names that they're calling out on deep you know, like, who are these guys? They played really well. They gave up twenty three points. But for the most part, it took a you know, a fake punt. You know, Baltimore played the way they had to play, but I, I think I just don't think Baltimore's a complete team in terms of they're always going to kick field goals. They have the greatest field goal kicker. I, I mean the guy doesn't miss it. It's right down <laughs> the middle of the cup. Um but for me, I, I think they can't duplicate what Jacksonville's duplicating because they're just not good enough on defense. So, and Flacco just can't get any better. I mean, his average yards per attempt, and what I think people have to understand—that's one of the things I talk about all the time—is yards per attempt. It's it's a key component. You know, I remember being in Cleveland with uh, Belichick, and and this is and, and Bernie Kosar at one time was a great quarterback, mm-hmm. but at the end he had gotten hit so much that he really couldn't take any more hits. And it partly was because, you know, the line fell apart, but also because, you know, he wouldn't take any hits. So quarterbacks are like boxers, okay? So when they, when their eye level's up the field, they'll throw the ball down the field. Like Danny Marino's eye level never changed no matter how many times you hit him, right? So he kept looking down the field yards per attempt. That's a key stat. But when your eye level lowers and you know what the left tackle's doing or you know what the right tackle's doing, then you say all of a sudden you start checking the ball, the ball becomes a hot potato. And one game we were playing uh Miami in a in a, in a game in Cleveland Stadium and and uh, Belichick benched Kozar and Kozar comes off the bench and he's like oh, I was 17 for 19 how can you bench me yeah but we we threw for 37 yes, yards <laughs> you, you know like like that's not going to work right mm-hmm. you got to throw it up the field that's where Flacco is I think Flacco's back's a real issue I think his inability to want to stay in there and get hit and I think his receivers and the passing game isn't tied together I, I don't see Baltimore as a playoff team do you
0: no, I do not. I, I mean, the AFC... Let's just talk about the AFC in general. That whole playoff picture with those guys, they're now a sixth seed. We talked about the Bills being a team that was there before yeah, last right. night. It's just that whole bottom half of the AFC. I mean, you got the Jaguars, the Ravens, right. the Titans. We should
2: take one of the teams... Like, like my solution for Auburn and Alabama and Georgia is to just put Auburn in the game and make Alabama and Georgia fight for that. Well, we should just take an NFC team and move them over to the AFC and, like, eliminate the sixth seed, right? Because mm-hmm. it would balance everything up. Because whoever the sixth seed is... In the in to me in the AFC, like there's nobody from four from three to six, and, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I don't see any of those three through six beating one or
0: two. Do you? Absolutely not. I mean, the four teams that you're talking about right now, as it stands, are the Ravens are the six seed, the Jaguars are the five seed, like Bortles, the, the Jones, Chiefs are the J.B. four Flacco. seed, and the Titans are the three seed. They're not beating the Steelers and they're not beating the Patriots as it stands right now. No, and
2: I mean, look, that's something we want to talk about on the next thing is is the Chiefs' offense, but I, I don't see the Chiefs' cure in this because they don't really... They're not great on defense. Their offense, which was carrying them early, is not great, unless they get turnovers on defense. So... I think the AFC is really a bunch of bad teams. It really is.
0: And is there a team that's in the AFC that's not necessarily in the playoff picture right now that you can see jumping up? And the team that jumps out to me is the Chargers. It's the
2: obvious one, right? It's the Chargers. They're the best team. And, I mean, if they would have been able to beat Denver earlier in the season, if they would have been able to beat Jacksonville when your guy Trey... uh, uh Trey Olston, I think it was, who celebrated? The kid from North Carolina. Oh, Trey Boston. Trey Boston celebrated, right? I mean, if they win any of those games, I mean, they're in command of their own destiny. They're playing the best football right now. They are the Auburn of the NFL. They're playing their best football right now. Yeah, they got
0: hot in November. They're uh, hot in November. And they got Cleveland coming to town.
2: It's coming to StubHub. And they're Mm -hmm. a 13-point favorite going into that game. I mean, look, if they can't beat Cleveland... They don't deserve to get in, but to me, I think it is. Buffalo, I don't see how Buffalo can do it. Buffalo's in a must-win. If they don't beat New England at home, they're not going to beat New England and Foxborough, mm-hmm. right? So they're not going to win down there, and there's too many other games that they could potentially lose that's going to knock them out. I think the Chargers... And the Chiefs end up – one of those teams wins the West and might win the playoff spot too, might yeah. win the wild card. Might
0: win the wild card, exactly. Because the Bills, if you look at it, they, they wrap up the season at the Patriots, at the Dolphins. They have two road games to wrap the thing up. Uh, probably will lose to the Patriots this weekend. You have Colts at home, That's why it's at a a must. Win. That's a must
2: yeah. win for them this week. It, really, it's all or nothing for them. They got to put – they got to do uh, – they, they got to KGB it. They got to put all the chips in, start licking the Oreo cookie and go all the way in.
0: Here, that, Sean McDermott? Make it happen. Uh, let's look at the NFC. We have our Eagles, the 1C, 10-1, and 1, a team that has basically been coronated as the best team in football by everyone. Everybody, the, the, parade's everyone already, the,
2: the, parade's, the parade route's already been decided, so don't, don't even worry about it. Stop. Hey.
0: Stop <laughs> We got Minnesota. <laughs> They've
2: beaten one team with a winning record. Look, I think the Eagles are really good. Yes, I absolutely. think they're really good. I, I'm not disputing that. I know my comments about Doug Peterson. I'll hold on that. But, I, I, I mean, they are really a good football team. I think they're It's deep, the front seven. Deep, Jim Schwartz is really a good mm-hmm. football team. Jim Schwartz doesn't get a head coaching job. Exactly. Based on Agreed. this year, what he's done with this entire Eagle team and the way that the culture has been set in Philadelphia, I don't see it. I mean, to me, he would be the perfect candidate for a team that really wants to change their culture.
0: What about the uh, Denver Broncos, a team that has a defense that he could really work with and, and boost well, up? I
2: think he would be really good in Denver. I, I think the one thing with Jim Schwartz, not to jump ahead, but Jim Schwartz gives you an identity of what you want to be on one side of the football. I mean, you can draft to identities. That's what makes them so unique. And that's what's made Howie Roseman a better General Manager. That's what's made the Eagles a better team because defensively, he's given them the blueprint on what we need to win with. I want defensive linemen that look like this. I want defensive ends that look like this. I need linebackers that look like this. Look, most of those guys on defense, the Nigel Branham, those guys came from Buffalo, mm-hmm. who was with Schwartz. So there's a true identity about what he wants, and that makes the personnel guy much better. That's what I always say. I was way better with Belichick because I didn't. I, the identity was already declared by him which it should be, the coach, right? So then it was easier. It was fitting players within the system. It didn't become, well, I like this guy. Well, I might like him, but if he doesn't fit what we're doing, I think that's where the Eagles have had success. If they lose Schwartz, that's going to get real interesting. Yeah, then let's revisit Yeah, when you know, what the, the, yeah, when you know what the puzzle the
0: looks like, it's easier to put the pieces together when you know right. what the end result should be.
2: Right. And so, look, I like the Eagles. I think they're really good. But they haven't looked the, a lot of teams. They haven't. There's a lot of, I mean, they're playing Chicago, which is dysfunctional to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, Denver, we realized when they blew Denver out how bad Denver is now. So, you know, this week's a true test. I think Seattle game will be a true test. I think they're better in Seattle. I think they'll beat Seattle. Seattle to me is the arrows pointed down. When you lose two home games like Seattle has, when you usually dominate at home and you can't beat the 49ers, you beat the 49ers by a field goal, then, you know, I think the things are starting to slip away due to injuries, understandable. But they're just not very good offensively.
0: And they have at the Seahawks, and they follow that by going to the they're Rams. They're going to stay out here on the
2: West Coast. Yes. They're going to play the Rams, which would be another good game, which would be a great test for them. I think the one thing Philadelphia needs to do is become battle tested. Mm-hmm. I think they need to be battle tested. I think I know the parade routes being hosted in Philadelphia, but I think you need to be battle tested. I think you need to be uh, go through it and really have to understand what it's like to overcome. Look, the year we won the Super Bowl in New England, when we came from 14 points down twice, uh, in that game, which was the first time, I mean, we had been battle tested. We lost in Green Bay. We had a really hard game the next week against San Diego. And that was, you, you had to come back and fight and win on the road. I think those things really help you when you have to play a championship, when you just ease along, like you're the Harlem Globetrotters and you just get to the final, you know, then you're not quite bad when the playoffs come, you're going to have to be battle tested. I think the Eagles should embrace this and really use it as an opportunity.
0: And let's look at the rest of that, the bottom bracket, uh, the wildcard weekend, guys. we got the Falcons, who right now hold the six-seeds pocket. They're, they're at seven and four. They would right now play the Los Angeles Rams, who are the three-seed. And then we have the Panthers, who are also eight and three. They're the five-seed. And they would play the Saints, who are the NFC South, uh, the class of the yeah. NFC South right now, who are the four-seed. So as it stands right now in the NFC, we have three teams yeah. from the NFC South. And, they're all, be, they and all they're all good. In. And they're, they're all good. They all belong in there. And they all look like... They could potentially win the division. I mean, the Panthers get a they revenge game They all look like they go to the Super New Bowl, Orleans, too. Yeah. They all
2: look like... I mean, I don't know about New Orleans. I think New Orleans would have lost to the Rams even if they had Lattimore back on defense. But I think the New Orleans is really good. I was a little worried about Drew Brees last Sunday. I didn't think Drew Brees and them watching the tape of them, I didn't think that they were really explosive in the passing game. I think that could be... The, I think if they played Philadelphia, that Philadelphia would lock them down. The mm-hmm. Phillies' defensive line would exploit them a little bit, but... Uh, there's too many good teams in the NFC. At least, well, let's say there's eight, right? Eight or nine. And then there's the cliff. Then there's the really bad teams, right? There's no middle class in in the NFC, right? There isn't like a team that's rising. Like the Redskins... There's just no details that ever get handled. Plus, they're beat up. They're they can't, you know. And the Cowboys, the Clapper, his team, you know, he has to coach a Pro Bowl team. So Packers he,
0: without Rodgers.
2: Packers are without Rodgers. There's too many. Dis- but there's a lot better teams in the NFC than there are in the AFC. I mean, the AFC it just goes off the cliff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really no after you get those. Once you get past two or three. It's really with Kansas City floundering.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the Seahawks and the Lions are the two teams right now that are you know on the outside looking at yeah. the playoff picture. Of those two teams, I mean, which team do you think has the best? I think chance? the
2: Lions are. I think the Lions are. They're, they're a funny team. They love to be seventeen points down. Nobody <laughs> yeah. embraces getting behind by seventeen more than Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions. Okay, and you know now that Terrell Austin, let me say this. You know, this we we're in the college coaching search seasons. Ray Anderson who's the athletic director at Arizona State. You know, he'd been in the NFL for a long, long time, and Tony Dungy loves Terrell Austin, Mm -hmm. and he's pushing him to be the head coach of Arizona State. And I hope Terrell gets the job. It would be well-deserved. So those conflicts come in and take away from your planning and your preparation, right? So that kind of distorts it. The Lions, to me, just aren't a very good team. They're a competitive team. They fight. Stafford throws the ball well. They get behind. They come back. But when they play the good teams, I don't think they can control the pace of the game, and I think that'll be their downfall. Seattle— I'm waiting for Seattle's defensive front to show up and it's going to have to show up this week against Philadelphia because the only way they're going to be able to beat the Eagles is if their defensive front can put pressure on Wentz and tackle him which is a hard tour tour
0: Absolutely. Wentz, uh, has that been Roethlisberger factor where he just seems to yeah. get out of anything? And, and the
2: officials give him the extra cut. But this is a great opportunity for Philly. You're going to have to deal with crowd noise. Mm-hmm. It's going to be loud. You're going to check the plays at the line of scrimmage. You're not going to be in the perfect play all the time, which I think we see the Rams are really good at doing that.
0: Yeah, we're going to see if the 12th man is back.
2: That's right, it, which it hasn't it's been, been. strange. Yeah. But I, I will agree with you about your prediction that Seattle. If Seattle doesn't beat this team, I don't see them going to the playoffs. If they don't win this home game, they're not going to go They're I don't see it happening because you're going to have to get the 10, right? And I don't know. I just don't see it.
0: And when you look at just all the teams that will be on the NFC, the AFC, I think it's a two-man race. It's the Steelers and the Patriots. The NFC... I can see a scenario where the Eagles just dominate and go to the Super Bowl. I can see a scenario where the Vikings defense steps up in case Keenum can get them to the Super Bowl. I can see a scenario where the Rams somehow outscore team because like, every single team that's right. in that picture. And you I didn't feel mention the like Carolina
2: Panthers, which I really think if 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 Cam could play better, I would think they're the best complete team. I mean, remember they had Philadelphia in that game on Thursday night. They had Philly on the ropes in that game, and then Keekley gets hurt mm-hmm. at the halftime. And Cam played one of his Cam typical games this year in that game. He was not very good. And yet I do think that that they could, if Cam played better, if he plays like he did against the Jets this last weekend, they're hard to really endorse. I mean, they really are. They're just not – he just doesn't make enough plays. They're too inconsistent on offense.
0: And he's trying to figure it out with Funches. I feel like Funches has really helped his offensive game a little bit to have someone to bail him out. But we know the thing with Cam. Cam is a guy if, – if he's going to miss, he's going to miss high – and when he misses high and it gets in his head, that's when things start to spiral. I mean, downward. think
2: about it. They're eight and three, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they lose a horrible loss to Chicago in Chicago. I mean, they're nine and two, really. They should have been nine and two in that game. And they lose to Philadelphia at home and they get blown out by New Orleans. I mean, they're a team that really, when you look at them, if they're healthy, they're a dangerous team that's really laying below the radar because Philly's taking all the publicity. But if Cam just ups his game a little bit, Wow. I think they, to me, they would, I would be fearful to play them in a playoff game because they're good in the defensive front. They're good in the kicking game. And he's the X factor. And when the X factor, he's a little like Iverson. I mean, he could score 40 on you or he could shoot two of 14, you know, you don't ever know. And Cam, that to me is the only reason I can't get behind it.
0: He's a great, I mean, that's a great comparison. I think the thing with Cam is if he's inside third and four, He's king. he could get the first down himself pretty much every time. And that, that changes everything from a defensive perspective because yeah. you have to worry about him.
2: So to me, I agree with you. There's so many teams in the NFC, but Carolina looks to me like if, if Cam played better, they would be dangerous to compete with Philadelphia.
0: All right, let's keep it going. We're going to insult a few a little bit. Uh, this is our favorite segment, not for nothing. Uh, Mr. Lombardi, this week, who's getting insulted?
2: Well, there's so much to do. I mean, the Baltimore offense certainly could get insulted. Denver, we insulted on the (laughs) Sunday podcast. You know, I I think the Miami Dolphins deserve to be insulted more than anybody. I mean, look, they're playing Denver, a team that's lost seven games, right? Mm -hmm. And seven in a row, by the way, Tate Frazier. And they're hosting hosting those Denver Broncos in your own stadium. And Vegas thinks so little of your team that you're a one-point underdog. That just blew me away. Like, what I, I I print out, not that I gamble or anything like that, but for the Saturday sit-down, I always want to look and see what's the, you know. And I, I saw that, and then I really watched the tape of the Patriot game. I studied the tape, and and Miami's a bad team. I mean, Miami's really a bad team. I mean, I, I think Miami has to really sit back and evaluate themselves this offseason and say, who do we want to be? Like, you talk about the identity that I was talking about with Schwartz. Like, they don't really have one. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of skilled players that everybody thinks they're great, but yet they can't score any points, Right. Like they have, like what what I think you missed the boat on so much, and and I think people tend to overlook this, which is why Alvin Kamara should win Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. When you're in spread formation, the back makes the spread, not the receivers. Right? You have to worry about the box. When you worry about the box, who is he going to run the ball on us? They're going to do it. Then you worry about the the back. Can he catch the ball? You know, when you're a one dimensional back, then it becomes a little difficult. But when you're a back like Kamara. And you can exploit, and you spread the f- – then the receivers become better. And I think that Miami has these three receivers that allegedly are the greatest receivers in the history of football, led by Jarvis Landry, <laughs> who averages under 10 yards a kick. Like, I don't see it with their team. And then defensively, like, I know they have good defensive line. I mean, they beat Brady. They, You know, Sue played Sue-type game last week. He kind of got up for it. But they don't tackle very well. They're not very physical when you get to the linebackers. I mean – I really think they're a bad team, and I I think they need to really – the playoffs hurt them in their own evaluation.
0: Yeah, and you obviously see Jay Ajayi, who they make this trade. They send him up to Philadelphia. People think that he's falling off, and he goes to Philly and completely turns his whole season around and turns the thing around. There's a disconnect in Miami.
2: I I think if you're the GM of the Miami Dolphins, I think you have to be really cognizant of where you play the type of players you bring into the organization, and I, I think this Jarvis Landry situation. You know, I reported it this summer that they were trying to trade him, and of course they came out and denied it. Then, uh, then the Miami Herald reported it during the trade line, and then of course they denied it. They've definitely been trying to trade him, but they're almost so sensitive to him, right? Like they almost care more about how he feels as opposed to making sure that they just run their team. Like, I get you have to listen to the players. I get that. Like, I'm not insensitive to the players. But somebody better be a commander-in-chief of the team. And, and I know that Adam Gase has got this great reputation for being an offensive coach, but he's a head coach now. Mm-hmm. And their offense isn't very good, and their defense isn't very good. Their defense wasn't any very good last year when Vance Joseph got the—I mean, when they won those games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, they were in the—nobody was scared of their defense or scared of their scheme on defense, for sure. I, I mean, John Elway hired Vance Joseph. Why, I don't know, but he did. But it wasn't based on the Miami Dolphin defensive tape.
0: Yeah. I will say this. Matt Moore <laughs> is the guy. I wish that they would let him just play. Every but, time he goes out there, he does some good but things. But the
2: more Matt Moore plays, the less you like Matt Moore. Okay? Of, course, he, of course. He holds the ball. like He got a couple sacks. In it. I mean, the Patriots, I think, had seven sacks in the game or something like that. Like Some of them, Matt Moore, just throw the ball away. Don't you see a Landon Roberts coming right down the field? He's he, trying to be a hero. I, I, we just got Bill Simmons just walked <laughs> in the house. <laughs> He's the clapper. <laughs> He's clapping. It's a good invitation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's good form. He looked good doing it too. Yeah, that was good form. Yeah, Is he going to be the new head coach of the Cowboys? I think he should be. Yeah. I think he
2: and cousin Sal, <laughs> cousin Sal, should be the offense coordinator.
0: Cousin Sal will be the new Wade Phillips. <laughs> we'll figure this thing out. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Who else needs to get insulted? Obviously the Dolphins do. I mean, do we have? A, I, can I say some, one person I want? Please insult. go ahead, Leonard Fournette. Now, I know that I don't like to pick on players, and I and I like Leonard Fournette. You're player
1: friendly. Yeah, I'm a
0: I'm a player. I'm player first, not you know program first. Leonard Fournette, such a millennial. No, he came into the NFL and he's talking all this junk about how he's gonna, you know, dominate football. This is what he's been waiting for. You know, he had to bide his time at LSU to get to this moment. It's not that hard to him. All this stuff. And my guy in crunch time, when they need him, when Blake Bortles needs someone to, first of all, block for him. Second of all, hand the ball off to so you can get some yards and run some clock. He's standing on the sideline, just sitting there. And you got T.J. Yeldon on the field. What's going on there? I mean, you get uh, out there and make some plays if you're going to be this big, bad dude. That I mean, we talked about it
2: before. I mean, look, he's not very good in pass protection, so that's a problem. And then they don't feel comfortable that he knows everything. And God knows we have to protect Blake Bortles. <laughs> so, I mean, the blatant, I mean... You know, I'm disappointed in that, too, because he's a big component of what they do. Because when you get a big guy like that catch the ball in the flat he can break some tackles, all of a sudden those checkdowns, instead of being three yards, become 13 yards. And
0: we're trying to stack the box, too, when you have a guy like Fournette back there. When you know it's Yeldon, I mean, Yeldon is a guy that's on the outside for the most part, mostly stretch plays. I mean, I think it changes the whole dynamic of how you get covered.
2: Right. That's a great point. See, I think that's why the most common formation now in football is this three-by-one look. Everybody's mm-hmm. running it. So, And like Kansas City with Travis Kelsey, the, the best receiver is always away from the three-by-one because it makes it easy on the quarterback to read the coverage. It's like last night when we were watching the game. Hopkins was away from the three-by-one. It made it easy for Tom Savage. Maybe easy's the wrong word. It, it it made it so that you could see what was going on on the field, and and those formations help. Whereas when whereas if you had that in Jacksonville and you knew that and and Fournette was the back, you should be in the perfect play all the time. That's the goal of offensive football, especially with the twenty with the headset communication, is to be in the perfect play all the time because mm-hmm. you can change the play. That's why the Rams are so successful. I mean, look at look what's happened with golf. Did you see that clip on uh, the Houston Texan game where where? Sean McVay basically is the quarterback of the Rams. he's
0: making the audibles live in the
2: moment. Live in the moment, Mm -hmm. which the only way that can truly happen is if the 15 – after 15 seconds, that communication should shut down. If it doesn't – like for me, if I'm a defensive coach now in the NFL and I'm playing the Rams, like this week if I'm the Arizona Cardinals, I don't change – I tell everybody to line up in a cover two shell, and at 14 seconds on the play clock, change. Mm -hmm. Change. Like show them what you are and then Change. And force their hand, because you know they're reading our coverage. It's like when people used to steal signals in the NFL. I mean, if you know it's coming, you know, and look, let me say this. For the record, the Patriots, you know, got- Stealing signals is an art form. Every team in the league did it. There's coaches in the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to mention their names, that were great at stealing signals, and everybody in the league knew it. Everybody protected yourself, because that's part of the game. Anyway, back to, back to this thing regular baseball, scheduled GM for street. For people that
0: played baseball, it's the same thing. Understandable. Uh, not well, for nothing, do you have anything well, else? Well,
2: no. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, where's, as a millennial, as a man who represents the millennial nation- I do not
0: represent those I want to
2: know, where are you on like the, the uniforms, like Ohio State's uniform against mm. Michigan? Where are you on that? Like, uh, I actually thought Ohio State's uniform was really pretty. I thought it was beautiful. I thought the black with the white with a little bit of gray. and I thought it was really a beautiful uniform. However, where are you on when you're playing? Like if North Carolina is playing their num- Duke, right? Mm. Would you like North Carolina to wear a throwback or an old-fashioned uniform, or is you just want them to wear their standard uniform? I No, mean, where I,
0: are- I'm, I'm a classic – trumps everything you know I, I believe in that and as far as uniforms go like Carolina just played in this Phil Knight tournament right and they have these Nike black UNC writing it looks just terrible it looks like something off NBA but Street I volume get, but Two. but it was
2: in a, in a tournament right
0: yes exactly but I, what I'm saying I think that Nike got this Oregon fever where we get, we need to take and, and, and enhance all these jerseys and make them look cool and do all this sort of other stuff and if you're a classic if you're Texas or if you're a North Carolina or you're Notre Dame if you're Penn State if you're USC and you have this classic combination that's already there and people recognize you don't need all that. I mean, I understand if you're Oregon and you want to flare yourself up or if you're, you know, Texas A&M and Adidas wants to do some, you know, blackout jerseys, I'm all for that. That can be cool. Um, but Don't ruin the classic stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I have a hard time. I'm all for the different kinds. I mean, I know every, this generation wants to have different color uniforms, but I it's think it's all when, for recruiting. I get that, and I'm all good. But when you have a classic game, when you're playing a game that's gone on since time immemorial, mm-hmm. uh, you should wear the uniforms. Like Detroit on Thanksgiving Day should wear their classic uniform, and mm-hmm. Minnesota should wear their classic. Like it should be a classic day. Yes. Like it shouldn't be like, you know, the, the, I get like the Thursday. Pay homage to
0: the past and also right, maybe upgrade it a little bit, add a little extra yeah. you know, for the, like, for, I, I for the just, moment to me
2: I think that that's wrong I, I and I'm like watching the games I think look Baltimore wearing all black last night I got no problem with that like they don't really have a classic uniform mm-hmm. like you know, like the they can Celtics, wear the Colts jersey, right? The Celtics don't change their uniform, right? The Yankees don't change theirs, and they seem to sell fairly well, right? Of course, So that's what
0: I'm saying. A classic, like the pinstripes, something that you can. You when you think of something, when I think of Texas, I think of burnt orange. When you right. think of North Carolina, you think of Carolina blue. I mean, things like that. If you think of Notre Dame, you think the gold. You think the gold helmets. Stuff like that,
2: just keep it. You can't change, change that, yeah, right? Yeah, there's no need to. Speaking of college, the, the one thing I would like to insult is the, the University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, I'm a huge Greg Ciano supporter. And I've known Greg for a long time. Uh, he would come in. He's the Rutgers coach. I find it fascinating that people say, well, you know, he didn't win at Rutgers. I don't think people really understand that. And then I also find it fascinating. Go ahead.
0: No, I just want to say, for people that have not watched North Carolina, 2008, North Carolina wore navy pants for the first time. They played at Rutgers against Greg Sciano. Butch Davis versus Greg Shiano. One of the most underrated football games you've ever seen, the amount of talent on the field. Talking about Robert Quinn, Hakeem Nicks, Muhammad Sanu, all these guys Right. at Rutgers in North Carolina. It's a great game. People want to go watch it. Please do.
2: And so, you know, I'm a fan and I've been in New England's program and Bill obviously Belichick's a huge fan of mm-hmm. him and I got to know him pretty well there too and and you know what and the players that played for Greg like if you called Devin McCourty today and asked him about Greg he would absolutely love him and I know I hear all this stuff but what happened to him at Tennessee to me is really really unfair. I mean, if you don't want him to be your head coach if the fan base doesn't want him to be your head coach that's one thing. But to then to to cast these shadows upon him that I just don't think are fair or have been proven fair is really disturbing. There's a great movie called Absence of Malice. Mm -hmm. It's way past, you weren't born before this. It's with Sally Field and and Bella's favorite actor, Paul Newman. Love Paul Newman. Bella loves him too. She just likes the cookies more than she likes the actor. And the dressing. Yeah, and and the the doll cookies she thinks (laughs) are the best. But anyway... Paul Newman plays, and it's a little bit along this line of the same thing that happened. Paul Newman played this character and it just smeared his life and he had to take some retaliation. And he, it's a really good movie. It was done by Cindy Pollock. Sally Field was in it. It's great. I recommend anybody who's interested in this, watch it because the way we are now, if you don't want Ciano to be your head coach of Tennessee, that's fine. But if you want to smear a guy's campaign, I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's really bad when I hear somebody uh, from Tennessee, get on and talk about uh, how you know they think he's a bad coach. Well, the guy that's saying this and who's got all these followers on Twitter, why does he call Belichick and ask him what he thinks of Siano? Like, like who is judging coaches now? I guess that's my question to you. The
0: media and you know people online, and it it was a it was a campaign that was. Uh... Pretty much all grassroots and from the internet, and it led to the top. And Tennessee made a decision not to hire Shiano well, after deciding you know, they the guy who runs
2: the Tennessee football program is Jimmy Haslam. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Haslam family runs the Tennessee football program and they run the Browns program. See a connection there? <laughs> you do the math. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, all right, listen. We'll, while we're talking about college, we might as well just keep it up. Uh, this is our lottery watch. We always talk about what's going on in the college world while we can. Uh, Tennessee job is out there obviously there's a lot of problems with the shiano thing now going on with them they're interviewing mike gundy that's right? what's been
2: reported mike gundy and it'll be interesting to see where they go uh, you know whether they go to a tennessee guy t martin lane kiffin have you been following Lane kiffin on twitter at all he's been great i mean he's been like campaigning for the job i mean lane <laughs> kiffin's like let him out let, like let him loose he's won these games like there's no denying him now put him back in the power five yeah exactly i mean he's somewhat entertaining uh It's funny. I mean, Dan Mullen takes the Florida job, which Dan Mullen's been trying. Dan Mullen really wanted the Georgia job, couldn't get it. Thought he had the Tennessee job, was Tennessee's number one choice when he he turned them down to take the Florida. I mean, Scott Frost has started this whole domino effect, right? So Scott Frost had his chance to be the Florida head coach. He turned that down. Obviously, he must want the Nebraska job. And then he took that job, and that which then opened it up for Mullen at Florida, mm-hmm. which then opened Tennessee up. And Siano was on their B list, and they hired him. So it'll be fascinating to see where they go. Mississippi stayed within. The interesting is going to be one is Texas A&M. Texas mm-hmm. A&M is a sleeping giant. Yeah, Kevin
0: Sumlin just got fired after being there for six years.
2: Unbelievable facilities, unbelievable wealth in the community. They can do whatever they want to do financially. And if they're able to get Jimbo Fisher, and I'm told reliably that if they offer Fisher enough money, they'll get them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to have to be eight, nine million to get them. But if they do, they'll get them. And then that opens Florida State up, which is another job. I mean, the college jobs that are open are really remarkable. And maybe the best one of all is if Frost leaves Central Florida, that might be the best job of them all. Why? Because it's got- Blake un- Bortles? Yes. Blake. Blake's a <laughs> spokesman for your team. You get any, you're basically quarterback you because you've yes. had Blake Bortles there, right? So- uh because you got so way, you could take all the twos and threes. I mean, people want to see their sons play, and this Florida's so fertile for football. It can get you a tremendous job. So, And Chip Kelly at UCLA, what's your thoughts on that?
0: I think that's good. I, I think it was surprising. I didn't think Kelly was going to take the job. I mean, a lot of people pointed this out, but Chip Kelly, obviously what he did at Oregon was basically sponsored by Nike, and he became a Nike guy. And going to UCLA, being an Under Armour program, I think that changes things for him. I think him being back in the Pac-12 is going to be good for him. I think that's where he's going to thrive. Um, I'd be more concerned if I were Chip Kelly as to that recruiting landscape against USC. I, I, I but I don't can, think it'll think be a problem. I think he can yeah. do it. I Laura mean, did it Maura for did a little it. While. I
2: mean, you're a national school at UCLA, right? Mm-hmm. So you can go back into Jersey. Actually, one of Springsteen's... Uh, a backup singer's son, Devin, uh, I forget his last name. The wide receiver played there was drafted by, played in, drafted by Atlanta in the seventh round. Uh, you know. UCLA has always gone back into Jersey. They've always gone into different areas. And with mm-hmm. your Chip Kelly, you know when he was at Oregon. He had to nationally recruit too, because I mean Mariota's from from Hawaii. Well, you know what
0: he did at Oregon? He just went to Texas and was like, "All right, three star, that's really fast. You want to come here?" Right. Yeah.
2: And to me, there's nothing wrong with that. Like yeah.
0: Texas, Sea strong, whoever it was. You know, like like, like to here. me,
2: Texas is misevaluating more players than they are evaluating them correctly. That's why they're messed up. You know, like I told a coach from Texas just recently, I said, "If you're in the top five recruiting teams in the country, I'm going to be really." pissed off at you like that's wrong like you don't want that like you don't want to be like you don't want the Mac Brown award like getting all the five stars right you don't want that award you want to get good players who are hungry want to work yeah most of
0: the five stars are pretty fat and happy by the time they get to campus yeah I mean that that,
2: that just typically doesn't they're not going to turn your program around so but Texas A&M is a job that I think is going to be really worth watching because that can shift the balance of power if they get the right guy
0: can I ask you about T Martin so T Martin is out here at USC Mm -hmm. he's the offensive coordinator he was a great quarterback in Tennessee his son, this is a weird fun fact, his son plays at Clemson, and Clemson's top freshman wide receiver, T. Higgins, is named after T. Martin. So there's all these weird T. Martin you know, things going on at Clemson, and it, it frustrates me because if I'm a Tennessee fan and I see T. Martin's kid going to Clemson, this guy named after T. Martin's at Clemson, T, T. Martin's out here at USC. Like, Why don't I give him a chance? I, I've heard great things about T. Martin being professional. And I think they like should hire T. Martin. I yeah. think
2: T Martin, T. Martin was our quarterback at the Raiders when I was there. Great kid. Works hard. I mean, he's worked his way up in the coaching ranks. Nobody's given him anything. It mm-hmm. isn't like he's had this great NFL career and they just turned it over to him. So, Look, if you want to have a national... Rec- if you want to have a guy... Look, if Tennessee wants a Tennessee guy, that's fair. I get that. I, I'm not complaining about that. I'm complaining about the process they went through. But if Tennessee wants to get a guy that they feel Feel like, can lead their program, then I think Ted, you got to give T Martin because you're going to have to recruit. Look, Tennessee, K- Kentucky, Tennessee, all those places, there's not enough good players in the state to make you sustainable against the great programs. So you have to go somewhere else to get them. You got go to go to Florida,
0: Georgia, South Carolina, This is what's Carolina, made Clemson Virginia. so great.
2: I mean, Dabo has done a tremendous job of recruiting out of the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's gone to t- Georgia. He gets Watson. He's gone all over the country to get players. He's gone into Florida. When you can do that and you can correctly evaluate him, which I think is even more important, is correctly evaluate him. Like, you don't want to go. If you're Chip Kelly, you don't want to leave Southern California and take a guy who you can find in your backyard. This is a little bit of the Al Davis thing. Al Davis used to always say to me all the time, I'm not trying to get incrementally better. I'm trying to get a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I always wanted to try to get incrementally better. If there was a player that would say you graded a guy a 57 and you could find a 59, I'm, let's get the 59. Because to me, all those incrementally better players make your team overall better. Al was from the belief I'll take the 57 and live with him because he knows what to do. But when I can get the 65, I'm going to take the 65. Mm -hmm. There's some argument for that. I get that. And I think that's the way you have to approach recruiting. Like, don't leave your state to take a guy who's just incrementally a little better than the one at home, but go get the superstar. And that's what I think Chip Kelly will do. I think Chip Kelly hiring at UCLA is tremendous. I think it's going to be great.
0: Absolutely. Is there anything else in college football that really stood out to you? Obviously, the coaching carousel has been unbelievable. Can I ask you about Harbaugh at Ohio State and Michigan, that whole situation? I mean, I know that Hardball is untouched. We we love that he wears the khakis and the sweater and the and glasses. Like yeah, we everyone loves talking about that and. But he's 0-3 against Ohio State. Urban yeah. Meyer is basically... <laughs> Kicking his butt. Yeah, exactly. And and I One of my favorite things about college basketball and college sports in general, and I think they matter more, is because of rivalries and what they mean. Ohio State-Michigan, I've always equated to North Carolina-Duke. In the same way, I always watched that game. I enjoyed it when Lloyd Carr was there. and It used to be a fun game. Trestle obviously came in and dominated uh, the Rich Rod years. All this other stuff at Michigan. I thought Harbaugh was going to change the tune of this whole thing. But now he's 0-3. And it doesn't look like. It, I mean, they have a quarterback problem. I don't know what's going on at Michigan. I, I think
2: they have an offensive core. I I think offensively, you know, I'm I've never been a big believer of the Pep Hamilton offense, mm-hmm. and I know Jim runs the offense there, and and I just I think offensively they need a better design. Uh, you know, it's tough to just always run what they run and just, just dominate, especially against a team like Ohio State who has a really good front. And let's face it, look, whenever you find a program that's not being successful, it starts because you didn't get the right quarterback. I mean, O'Kern is, I think that's how you say his name, mm-hmm. right? The quarterback. I mean, he was really, he's not a very good player. You know, I know he transferred for him from Texas, from Houston and all that, but he had no feel for the game. And I think that that's really caught him off guard. Now they supposedly have a great quarterback that they've redshirted and. If that's the case, that'll turn them around. But until they fix the quarterback, which is hopefully what you do with Jim Harbaugh, like all these coaches who get hit, like if I'm Dan Mullen, like if I'm Dan Mullen, forget about putting my staff together. First thing I'm doing is I'm give me the list of the f- top five quarterbacks in the United States. I want to watch them, I'm going to go get me one.
0: Yeah, maybe even go to junior college and try to find. Some I'm going to get me yep. the best
2: quarterback that I can because until I get him, it doesn't matter what, who else I have on the staff. It doesn't matter what else I have in the program. Same thing when you take over an NFL team, you got to fix the quarterback. I think that's Jim's biggest issue; he hasn't fixed the quarterback.
0: And if you look at Stanford, I mean, obviously Harbaugh leaves Stanford, and David Shaw takes over. I think if you had told someone that in 2017, I would be you would be more impressed with what David Shaw is doing at Stanford than what a Jim Harbaugh is doing at Michigan. People would not believe that. Was right. the case. I
2: think David's done a really good job of taking that offense and expanding it out mm-hmm. and making it uniquely. Now it's different in terms of who he plays, the level of comp. But for the most part, I mean, they're more creative. I, I think
0: it's an uh, impressive win over Notre Dame. I watched yeah, that they whole kick game. They kicked their butt. Yeah, yeah. they
2: kicked their butt. And I think really, when you look at Michigan, I think Michigan needs to be a little bit more diverse offensively than what they've been. And I thought they had a really good game plan. I mean, they did everything in their power to stay with Ohio State. The quarterback just couldn't make some easy throws. They had a great red zone production. I mean, I think Jim just sometimes Jim collects more people. He has a big staff. I think sometimes less is more.
0: I wish that they had Bryce Love. Bryce Love is probably my favorite running back in the country. Probably should have
2: had Bryce Love. I, and, and, you know, Jim figured it out in Stanford. I think he'll figure it out here, but the pressure's way on him. I mean, Urban's really good at what he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're going to have to find somebody who can compete with – and Urban's good at getting players. I mean, look at all those guys that they have on that Ohio State team. I mean, Urban goes into Texas. I, it'll be a fascinating – I think it'll be good. And But I could see your what you're saying. I mean, I could get the people that aren't, like, drinking the Kool-Aid on Jim Harbaugh. I get that.
0: I'm just worried. I I, I, I I want the rivalry to come back and for it to be fun because those are two co- when they, when it happened it almost seemed like it was made up you know for, for to have Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh going head to head in that rivalry it seemed almost too good to be true and I don't think we've been I don't think it's, we've we've gotten what we want yeah. so far um, anything else you get an Al Davis story for the week
2: all right so anyway I'm in I'm in this restaurant the other night and um, and so one of the people at the table says tell me an Al Davis story mm-hmm. so. My favorite Al Davis story, it's in the book. It's one of my favorite ones of all time. And it's it, it goes back to I want to say it's I think we're in 2004. We're playing the Chiefs at home. It's the um, year
0: after losing to the Bucks in the Super Bowl. No,
2: this is 2 years after. That. Okay. North Turner's the head coach. Oh, Rob oh, no. Ryan Rob Ryan's the off- the defensive coordinator. Don Martindale's the linebacker coach. So, uh, you know, every day that I worked for Al, I would get phone called after practice to to go over what the practice was. And he, and I, again, once again, I could never ask a question. I just had to answer. So I, I got three things for you today. Uh, did you see, you know, they ran Elvis with it too much at practice. Did you, you know, like, wh- why are they doing this? Why are they, you know, okay. So I answer those. So this one Wednesday practice, we're getting ready to play this chief team. And the chief team was really good. They had Eddie Kennison, they had Johnny Morton, they had Larry Johnson at running back. Trent Green was the quarterback. LJ. Yep. Jason Dunn was the tight end. I mean, they were explosive offense. Al Saunders was the offensive coordinator. Was Gonzalez on that team? Gonzalez was on the team. Mm-hmm. Jason Dunn was the other tight end. So they had two tight ends. They could be in 12 personnel and just kick your butt, you know? And so, um, so we're playing them I and it's, and so Wednesday practice, we run this coverage that I had never seen us run before a so new coverage, it was kind of like, you look like you're playing cover two, but you revert to three, and it was kind of like a, a weird thing, and I never said it. So what I typically would do is, because I'm not allowed to ask questions, I cut it out, and I saved it on my, on my, on my video, because I figured he would ask me, and then I could send it over to him at the hotel. Wednesday night, no question. We run the coverage again on Thursday. Thursday night, no questions. We run the coverage again on Friday. Friday night, no questions. Okay, he didn't ask. He obviously doesn't, you know, it's not... Not concerned about You're it. You're not concerned about it. Fast forward to the game on Sunday. We pretty much dominate the game, and then the Chiefs make this comeback. We're up 31 to 27 late in the game. There's actually 2.10 to go in the game, and it's second and five. And we had run the coverage before during the game, no, 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 no problem. And then on this time, we run it again. And Eddie Kennison catches a slim post or bang eight. And Trent Green hits him in stride and Kennison's probably still running today. Okay. (laughs) It's a touchdown, right? Mm -hmm. We lose the game 34, 31 and game over. I get home and my telephone rings and, uh, you know, he's going berserk on me on the telephone. He's going absolutely berserk. Who's that coverage? Don't lie to me. Will you put that coverage, I said, Mr. Davis, look, I'm telling you, I put, I got it, I got it clipped out. I'll bring it to your office tomorrow. I mean, I'll put it, I'll bring it to the hotel by the time you wake up tomorrow morning, because he never woke up before 1030. Mm -hmm. So by the time he wouldn't go to bed till like three, right? So I'm not like his schedule was Howard Hughes. So anyway, it was like, okay, once you wake up, it'll be right there at your room at the hotel. I don't want to hear that click hangs up the phone. The next morning now I'm worried, right? So like the next morning I get to work really early. The next morning I go in and I wait for I wait for Rob Ryan and Don Martindale, the linebacker coach. Now they commuted together. They both lived way out in Livermore. Mm-hmm. And Robs, you know, he's got his he always had good and plenty's in the car. I love good and plenty. So he comes bouncing in. I'm like, "Rob, I'm just telling you." <laughs> wink, I'm telling you. We call Don Martindale Wink Martindale. I said, "Don, Wink, I I mean, the old man's on a, on the warpath. He's coming to get you." I don't know what you're going to tell him, but you better make sure that you You have your story straight, that you both have your story straight, because he's coming after you tomorrow. tomorrow. I mean, I've never seen him this pissed off in all my life. He's really pissed off at the coverage. And without a blink, Rob looks at me and says, what the F are you talking about? That was his coverage. He made me put it in. (laughs) There, that's it. That next day, nobody said a word about the coverage. He never brought it back up to me. And God knows I didn't say, hey, Mr. D, that was your coverage, wasn't it? No chance, right? That was the end of the story. That's one of my favorite ones of all time. Just being able to, everybody, like, as long as nobody communicates, everybody will know. What oh, do you think about that, Taborian?
0: I love that. That's so good. <laughs> He's got you all messed up. That's so great. I'm glad he never brought it up. Yeah, I'm glad you, you never brought it up. I never brought sake.
2: it up. Rob Ryan and I and we, Wink, we still laugh about it today. <laughs> we still, whenever we see each other, we talk about it. It's, just, it's hilarious. That's
0: uh, so good. That's yeah. a great story. Uh, and good, good for Rob Ryan to bring him up. That was great. Yeah. He's, you know, great defensive coordinator. Uh, if
2: you need getting good and plenty, Rob will have some. Trust me. Yes. He loves some good and plenty.
0: Yes. Uh, is there anything else before we get out of here? No. Thursday night football. Thursday night. To watch oh, out for? We, got,
2: we got the clapper Thursday night. Mm-hmm. We just had Bill Simmons come in and give us a little clapping. I'm excited. No, it'll be good. that will be a good week.
0: We'll see what happens with Jason Garrett if uh, if the rails continue. To go as they're going, which Jerry is said, torn up. Jerry said,
2: Jerry we, said, have we forgotten that he was coach of the year? And I tweeted back out. Yes, we have. Yes, we – no, we didn't. But have you forgotten that he lost to Green Bay at home, mm. who then got smoked in Atlanta by Atlanta? So, I mean, look, Jerry wants to be the head coach of the team, and Jason's the perfect guy to have if he wants to coach the team, which – Let him coach the team. It's his team. He owns it.
0: Keep clapping. Uh, This has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier. That is Mike Lombardi. We will be back Saturday for a Saturday sit-down. We'll see you then. Thanks.